0: Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear.
1: Welcome, everyone, and thanks for joining us here at another Next Level Brands Podcast. Our podcast today is brought to you by the Next Level Brands CPG community, a merger of the experience of Next Level Marketing and the educational resources of Kitchen to Shelf, the Next Level Brands community brings together CPG entrepreneurs at all stages of growth, providing knowledge, training, courses, and networking, not only with fellow entrepreneurs, but also key partners within the industry, including packaging, finance, and e-commerce. More details are available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's. Nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. Hi, I'm Steve Clear, and I'd like to welcome to the show this week, Katie McCarran. Katie is the founder of Portland Pet Food Company, a global manufacturer of human-grade dog meals and treats based in a rather warm right now, Portland, Oregon. Katie launched PPFC in 2014 after finding success formulating meals at home for her aging poodle, Rosie. Today, using the same recipe she developed for Rosie, PPFC provides dogs across the United States, Canada, and Japan products free of preservatives, additives, or artificial ingredients. Prior to launching Portland Pet, Katie worked in the healthcare administration, education, and business development. Her first business, Academic Network, provided educational programs for international food and pharmaceutical companies. In 2008, Katie sold Academic Network and focused on engaging with women-owned businesses, organizations, and support activities. Welcome to the show, Katie.
0: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: It's, it's been great to, uh, great to finally line this up and, and, and talk to you. Uh, I've been watching Portland Pet Food for you know, quite a while. And I think for the audience, we're, we're obviously going to talk about the entrepreneurship part of it, but also a little bit about we don't have a lot of pet food people from, you know, from time to time, but it's like, okay, so we want to talk a little bit about how the category and stuff is very different. But the one begging question is, what does human grade mean?
0: Um, Human grade means that we use human grade ingredients in our dog food and meals and as well as our treats. And it means that the animals are meant to go into the channel for human consumption.
1: Okay. And and so it's okay if I eat it, not a problem.
0: It is okay if you eat it. It is formulated for a dog's needs,
1: nutritional (laughs) um,
0: needs, but it is all human grade. It's everything that you would find in your own pantry.
1: Confession, as a child, I used to like milk bones. And I would uh, steal them occasionally and chew on them. My teeth wouldn't allow that nowadays, but back then it was it was fun. So um, uh, obviously, the, the uh, a little bit of the story, a little bit of the background. This, like many things from an entrepreneurial standpoint, came from a personal situation with you and your dog. Can you tell us about that?
0: Yes. Um, I started cooking for Rosie, our standard poodle, in 2014. Um, she was 14 and a half at the time. And she was not thriving. I was seeing that she was losing weight. The vet had pretty much given up on her and just thought this was old age. And um, she was sort of dribbling off the court. And I didn't believe that. So I started cooking. I started researching about food on the internet, formulas for dogs. And Rosie started eating. She ate vegetables for the first time in her life because she used to always pick the vegetables out of her dry food and throw them all over the kitchen. And she started gaining weight. Her coat got shinier and she lived to be almost 17 years old, only eating Portland pet food
1: meals. And and obviously that's, you know, I mean, a personal story of that kind. So you're doing this for the dog somewhere in there because of your background or not because of whatever. How did you transition that from I'm cooking for my dog to, oh, let's start a pet food company?
0: Well, I had sold uh, my company a few years earlier. Um, I actually was quite happily retired, but out of the love for this dog, started cooking. And then, of course, my entrepreneurial spirit started thinking about, are there other comparable products available for for owners? And I noticed that there was a lot of raw dog food companies, um, but there wasn't a gently cooked dog food company. And being that my dog was older, she had difficulty transitioning to raw. We did try it. Um, so she was very pleased with the um, gently cooked, and I decided that there was an opportunity there. I started researching on on the internet, looking what other companies were out there and what they were doing, and decided to launch Portland Pet Food Company because I just saw that there was a need. There was not another, not a lot of gently cooked, fresh meals at that time.
1: So when you and, and similar, obviously, to people who you know, did you have to go find? a commercial kitchen to do this? How did the health food, the health department, excuse me, you know, look at, what are you doing? Cooking dog food?
0: No, absolutely. I did need to prepare it within a commercial kitchen and I needed to be certified by the Oregon Department of Agriculture for pet food manufacturing. I also needed to be certified for human food um, manufacturing. So human food is produced in our kitchen too so that we can claim that we are producing in a human food facility. We worked with the Oregon Food Innovation Center to help develop the formulas. I worked with a food scientist who had been involved in developing products um, in these retort pouches. We put quite a bit of time into research and development into the product before we, before we really launched nationally.
1: And, and then did you, um, did you take a sort of a traditional route of going to more high-end local independent stores or did you sell direct to consumer? How did you tackle that?
0: We started the typical route of an entrepreneur in food. We started in the farmer's markets. Um, It did take some time to get into a farmer's market because no one wanted to bring in dog food. Although once I convinced um, the first market that this was human food, they welcomed it. They saw the ingredients that we were using and we had a wonderful experience working at all the different farmer's markets in the Portland area. And then we started going to a couple trade shows in the pet food industry, learning about the industry, and decided to pursue marketing to pet specialty stores as right. well as natural grocery stores.
1: Yeah. Does, does your farmer's market have big signs like ours does that no dogs? <laughs> no dogs, um, dogs. Th-
0: th- this one actually did. Fortunately, <laughs> they had a set aside area for dogs so that we um, actually supplied some of the treats during those early days for the dogs that were waiting for the owners to be shopping.
1: When you approach, I mean, pet specialty, I can certainly understand. That's one way to look at when you're approaching more of the conventional, but upscale, you know, natural, whatever grocery stores. um, What was your initial reception from the buyers on that?
0: It was extremely positive. Um, They were looking for something that was pure and natural. They were hearing that feedback from their customers. And we launched that fancy foods, I believe it was 2017. And and it was quite a surprise. People would look, why are you here? You're a dog food company. But as we started to explain uh-huh. about our products and show them our products, and actually some people even tasted them, it was very clear that they had the connection that this was something different. It wasn't It wasn't another me too product in the pet food aisle. Um, it could be a compliment to other brands. And they just saw it as a nice opportunity to present
1: something new to their customers. So when that, and, and that goes... When you're expanding, I guess, or distributing, did you end up working with, as a distributor, are there pet supply distributors, or did you go with a UNFI or a KAHI or a food? How did that work?
0: It took a couple of years for us to get into distribution. We were um, going direct to some of the stores. Uh, We were delivering. My husband, we called him Hound Dog. He'd go off and deliver to the pet specialty stores as well as to the natural grocery stores that we launched into it first here locally. Right. And we did focus on regional first. After we proved that we weren't going away and we were there about three years into the business, we picked up a regional pet specialty distributor. And then we also started to pick up um, natural grocery distri- distribution. Um, right. It was very nice here locally. A couple of the stores um, like Marketed Choice, New Seasons, you could deliver yes. directly to. They were very supportive as we grew, we started to expand with DPI, UNFI, and um, KD.
1: Yeah. yeah, the three amigos. Um, yeah. you know, yeah, you, eventually you're gonna have to yeah, be, be there. Um, and did you have a plan to, or, so when you were regional and, and certainly with, with our friends, you know, in the Northwest there, there's a lot of, you have a lot of opportunity to do that because the stores are there. When you decided to expand, did you sit down and say, OK, I think Northern California would be a good idea or Seattle or how, how did you how did you look at that?
0: Well, I would like to say that I was that well organized. Um, I did try to emphasize staying in the region. But when Wegmans on the East Coast approached us with 100 stores, I quickly figured it out. And we actually (laughs) went, um, they use a small distributor and that's who we went through. And it's been a great relationship. We've been in there a couple of years now, but we did, did emphasize moving from Oregon, Washington down through Northern Southern California and across, um, we're in the lower Southern part of the, the country, as well as, um, on the, in the Northeast.
1: And with with the folks that are your your customers, um, I I spent some time in the food business with Purina was a client for a number of years. Um, pet owners, and there's a lot of us, are very very different about our, our pets, and particularly if we're looking for solutions or we're looking for something better. But if but if I'm just say organic and and and, and whatever, and I'm not necessarily vegan, but you know. If if I'm at that with my own consumption, perhaps for my family, I'm certainly not going to leave my dog or cat out of that mix. If if I can uh, if I can find something, so did you did you find those customers pretty quickly? And then did you were you able to communicate with them, either Facebook or email or whatever, to figure out that wow, there's a lot more people out here than maybe I thought.
0: Yes. I mean, we quickly learned, um, we launched with the meals and then the biscuits, we worked with the local breweries. Um, we repurposed the barley. Um, but of course we also early found that many people wanted a grain free product. So we started, um, then developing some new formulas. Um, and people are, I mean, well, the pet food industry does follow really what is happening within the human food industry, as you can no, now plant-based is very popular in human food. It's becoming very popular now also yep. um, for dogs and cats. Um, we aren't really following the trend so much. It's just trying to provide whole food nutrition, um, as you know. in In human nutrition, things change about every ten years. Um, yes. <laughs> now sometimes things get out there before the science is really there about changing some ingredients. Yes. And,
1: no fat, lots of fat, lots of carbs, yeah. no carbs. Yeah. Yes. Um, in, in, in going in that direction, um, with plant-based obviously, and that's not where you, not where you started, but you know, um, but that, that movement is, uh, are you still working with formulating and working with food science or whatever to try to find something that works that's plant-based because dogs and cats are carnivores. So
0: they are carnivores. And I, I have not chosen to go that route. Um, Right now we're busy enough. We just launched the salmon meal um, in the s- summer of 2020. And so we are, we are marketing these products as well as some new treats that'll be coming out at the end of the year. And also then focusing on expanding into ca- with cat food.
1: Oh, okay, but- all right, that's excellent. My cat is waiting. So <laughs> great. I like to hear that buddy, buddy, but he's waiting for some different food. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As, as, as a lot of them are. Well, you know, that's the other thing, too, is, is, is people sometimes forget variety. Oh, you know, my dog or cat or whatever, likes so and so. But they also like some other other stuff. I have friend who was um, his cats were tuna flavor or tuna, whatever cats. And one day he's decided, oh, I got some extra ahi. Left over uncooked, and he puts it down and they look at him like, what, does the chef get fired today or what? So you expect me to eat this raw? I'm not going to eat it raw. I want, you know, I want stuff in it. So they could be very, very particular. The, the, the dog food, on the other hand, is um, do you find that your customers have certain breeds of dogs and they tend toward the more natural food or is it, is it just all across the board?
0: It really is across the board. It really is the customer that's looking for pure ingredients, uh, ingredients that they recognize. Um, You know, I always hear from customers, oh, my dog's allergic to chicken or are my dogs allergic to pork? And I always encourage them not to rush to that one protein ingredient, but they should really look at and analyze and learn to understand what all the ingredients are that go into pet food. As you know, when you turn around a package of pet food, it's not untypical for there to be 50 ingredients listed. Yeah. yeah. And it's really important. It's very difficult to distinguish is some of those synthetic ingredients that are added or some of the vitamins and minerals may be actually the cause of these allergies.
1: Yeah. My my favorite phrase is mechanically separated meat. because um, <laughs> yes. I, I, I know what that means. And uh, yeah, but it's um uh yeah, there's an off, awful lot in and certainly hasn't necessarily gotten the attention that the human side of of food has gotten over the years, but um, certainly, you know, more emphasis now. Um, Let me ask you a little bit about, from the business standpoint, what did the pandemic do?
0: Well, the pandemic at first affected us like everyone, but it only lasted a couple months. Um, Quickly people went online to get their food and, some of the um, pet specialty stores particularly struggled because they had not en- embraced online as quickly as some of the natural grocery stores. Right. So they, they did pivot. We did see a fall in business, particularly with a pet specialty. We had always been online. We are on Amazon. Uh, we've, we've just gone into Chewy at the end of 2020 and we also have our own website. So we had always been able to are. We, we were able to pivot quickly and online growth, you know, at least doubled, if not oh, tripled yeah, in 2020 yeah. for us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And if, and if, if, if I'm buying my groceries, I'm going, right. I mean, it's just, it's part of it. It's part of that whole food buying experience if that gets switched. Um, what's I think been interesting has been, we were all sort of waiting for the rebound, which was, okay, what, how much of this we know it went nuts in e-commerce and now how much of this is going to go back. And I've been surprised so far with the people that I'm working with that um, it has not gone down as far as one might think. So those those purchases have not transferred back to retail. Not that retail is doing bad, but um, it didn't all just people just didn't suddenly. Oh, I can go back to the store now. I'm going to buy this in the store. They're kind of used to getting it through that channel or getting it delivered or picking it up. Either way, whatever, however they do it, and a lot of them are sticking with it over a period of time. So we're, uh, you know, we're halfway more than halfway through the, the year. Um, you know, those habits are pretty ingrained now it's been over a year that we've been shopping that way. So how do you, how do you expect that's going to, or, or did you see the same rebound or how, how did, how did you look at that?
0: No, I'm in complete agreement with you. I think, um, the consumer shopping habits have changed. I still think they want the, um, in-store experience at certain times, but it's become very convenient to be able to order, go on to Instacart and order your, your groceries. You can also include your, your dog food. Pet specialty stores have um, now included curb pickup or delivery. And those are the stores that have really done well. And I, I don't think that's going to change at all. I, I don't think there's any normal that we're going back to.
1: Yeah. And, and, and interesting, you, you mentioned Chewy is I had looked at Chewy before just out of an industry. You know, I, I got to look at the stuff because it's what I do. And then uh, my cat had to have a prescription and they said, oh, we'll give you some to take right now, but um, he's going to need more. It's a longer treatment. Um, you can get it at Chewy. We'll send it in. And I'm like, what? I'm going to get my prescription through, a, through Chewy? Yeah, sure enough. And, you know, and then a reminder, uh, you know, if it needed it, because it needed two dose things to, to re or a refill. And it was like, wow. And now all of a sudden then I'm on Chewy going, oh, that's really cool. That looks nice. You know, whoa, I mean, maybe, you know, so there's this whole thing of transition. I would never have thought that from a vet, I would end up getting the, you know, the prescription from, uh, from Chewy. So just.
0: No, absolutely. These online platforms have really um, been very, very convenient for the, for the customer, And I just see continued growth there. What we did strategically so that we could still support our brick and mortar stores is both on Amazon and Chewy. We didn't sell in individual packs. We sold in a four pack for our meals. Right, right. Um, So we were able to navigate uh, with this in-store experience supporting our brick and mortar stores, but then also having the availability and then also creating a, sus- a subscription plan for our customers. And that really grew in 2020.
1: Uh, I'll go through our own website. Right, right. And, and, and Katie, what's the website for folks out there so they'll get it? Yes, we'll it it's
0: www.PortlandPetFoodCompany.com.
1: Just right on all the way out, PetFoodCompany.com. Excellent. And
0: we have a great um, selection. You can buy the individual packages. Um, you can save... Um, on the uh subscription plan obviously and as i mentioned before that's that's the plan that's really been growing for us
1: absolutely um let me ask you about you know sort of the transition so you were a a business person entrepreneur but you were also involved pretty heavily in academia uh what are the what were the differences that you uh, had to adapt to when you you know started portland pet food
0: well we don't just sell to the human we have to also sell to the dog so I have to convince the human to try the food. Um, the dog generally likes the food, so that's, that's usually the easier sell. Um, it's really about education, and I did that in my previous business. Right, um, right, it's, that's
1: where you were, yep. It,
0: it, it is difficult to grow a business when you have to heavily invest in education, but the pure, simple, wholesome ingredients do draw people in at first. And then we have a lot of information that's available um, either through our website and then also for us doing demos, et cetera.
1: Did you um, kind when of, you, when you start to scale a little bit, right? you, you, you do this transition kind of from a food business even though it's for dogs to a logistics, logistics business is the how do we get this produced? How do we get this? Did you guys maintain your production? Did you go to a co-packer? How did that evolve?
0: Well, when we first started the business, our meals were uh, fresh frozen products. So we were producing those meals in the commercial kitchen as well as the treats. This has evolved since we went into the retort pouch. We now have a co-manufacturer for the last several years for the pouches. And then we have continued to build out our bakery. And we've gone through... Three moves over the years, and we will now be—we're now building a new kitchen baking facility, and hope to move into that by the end of September. Um, and then we're also looking at a secondary co-manufacturer for meals to assure that we don't have any hiccups, because um, anything could happen. You know, when you just are relying on one upon right. one co-manufacturer.
1: Was the driving what or what was the driving force for keeping the bakery? the The bakery part of it, but using a coman for the retort.
0: Well, the real driving force is that we work with the local brewery, so we repurpose these spent grains, and that was going to be a little bit difficult working with some of the other bakeries. There was also a, a confusion part on human food bakeries that they couldn't um, have the meat. and um, we do bake, we have a bacon biscuit. We also have a bacon grain free biscuit. with
1: meat. Yeah, okay, right. yeah. So
0: then you would need someone from USDA on site. However, um, it is actually simpler than that because these human food bakeries just needed to go out and get a pet food manufacturing license. And since it's 3% or less of bacon bits going into these biscuits, it's fine. But it drove us at that time to start thinking about just building out our own bakery because it was getting very complicated. In addition, trying to find a human food bakery to do dog treats has, has been difficult.
1: I can imagine, yeah, I can see that.
0: You know, we use these very high high quality human grade ingredients, and the consumer needs to understand that most dog food, it may say beef on it, and it may say USDA on the front of the package, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's human grade quality and going to go into the human food chain. It may have been an animal raised on a USDA farm, and that's that's why the creative marketing with the USDA on the front of the package can be there. Oh, I love the animal. The animal may have been sick, older and is sent to a rendering plant because it's not fit for human consumption. And at a rendering plant, you have all sorts of animals going in as well as, you know, roadkill. There can be zoo animals. The meat is heated. at such a high temperature to destroy all the bacteria because these are diseased animals that have been lying around. Right. And, this is where you see a lot of the recalls because of the medication that they put to put the animals down is still within the uh, food when it comes out of the rendering plant. And that's where a lot of the recalls have come from. Or once they've destroyed all the nutrients, they have to add back in synthetic vitamins. Right. And those vitamins right. are from around the world. Right. And that is why we chose not to add any synthetic vitamins. All of our all of our ingredients are sourced here in the United States.
1: And what and what's in it is what's in it. So if it has vitamin A, it's got vitamin A. If not, right? Yeah.
0: Exactly. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, you you mentioned briefly about um, the some some new stuff uh, coming along. Can you talk a little bit more about how you decided what to do next?
0: Well, we um, interviewed some of our customers. Um, we went through quite a, a branding exercise in in the fall of 2020. It was a good time to do it during the pandemic. Um, we did, did a lot of this via Zoom. It was really very interactive uh, doing these focus groups. It's online. And we listened to some of the, the needs that they wanted. And we've been asked for cat food since day one. Um, obviously, I wanted to focus on the dog food and get that off and, yeah. and, and started. Um, but we've listened and we'll be coming out with a couple different formulas in 2022 for the cats, as well as some new treat lines.
1: All right, if you need a beta tester, Buddy is very gregarious and, and gives great feedback for, for treats. so you can do that. Okay, that sounds uh, great. He's, he's interrupted a couple podcasts, actually, in, in his time, just all of a sudden shows up outside the door, and yeah, well, we have to, we have to deal with it. You, know you know how that. Oh, is.
0: I know. Yeah. I have Winnie wow. wandering around the house here. Yeah, yeah, we've had we've
1: we've had dogs and uh, uh, on, you know, on the show as well. And as I mentioned to you beforehand, we've had construction on the show in the middle of the show. So these things, things have but people get used to it. I think one of the things is kind of interesting is you were talking about all your Zoom meetings and stuff. And you're right. It was a perfect time. People were home. Um, They were with their pets, probably. And, uh, you know, you could you could get that. They have a little time and whatever. But our, our tolerance level now also, particularly more on the video side, audio, not we don't worry so much, but on the video side, our tolerance for the sort of imperfections in production has risen incredibly during Zoom, where stuff that I would have been totally embarrassed about to appear on a show before, I, I, today I wouldn't think anything of. You know, We've been through it and, and, and you know, done, done that as it were. Um, when we went into pandemic, how was the switch from one-on-one in-person buying to having to deal with Zoom or remote? Or it, it, was that, you know, an issue?
0: No, I mean we quickly um, tried to connect with buyers um, and working with our brokers. Uh, each one approached a little bit differently, but approaching the buyers with either a one-on-one Zoom meeting. We did participate in a few virtual shows. I would say those were not as successful as I would like them to have been.
1: Yeah, I think that's yeah, pretty common, yeah.
0: But it really made us think about you know, our growth and we were growing rapidly. We were relying a lot just on our brokers where we reached out to some buyers and just said, asked for some one-on-one meetings. And I have actually found that to be very, very constructive. There's nothing like talking directly with the buyer and, and keeping that connection and relationship growing. So it was, a, it was a good learning experience for us too. And we want to continue to keep those more one-on-one relationships going. Um, obviously still working with our broker, but I think it's very, very important that the manufacturer doesn't lose sight that it's important to keep close right. relationships with your
1: buyers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they've yeah. and, and of course, their world has changed too um, in, in the fact that, um, I think efficiency-wise, uh, the pandemic has forced upon them this not having the meetings. Not We were, we were talking with somebody the other day about uh, Albertsons is headquartered in Boise. And at Albertsons, you went to the lobby out front, and you sit and you wait, and they call upstairs, and then the buyer, and then you have to come down and go past the guard and the metal detector, and then they walk you through the atrium and the restaurant and the cafeteria and and then upstairs. And by the time, you know, it literally, it's an extra half hour on both sides for the buyer just to usher the people in and usher them back out again, that if they were on Zoom, they'd be onto another product. And so I think that's going to have an effect on, I mean, I know they want to get back and we're going to get back to seeing people, whatever, but I think that'll have a long-term effect and in, we will see probably less personal contact with buyers going forward. I think that's how, it's, you know, the efficiency is just there. So, cause you can send, I mean, not that, not that the buyer's tasting your food, but if you're, if you're doing, if you're showing a new product to a buyer, you can send it to the buyer. We can be on zoom. The buyer can taste it and make a determination. You know, there's, a, yes, yeah, there's some downsides to it. If you have to do preparation, cause you don't know what the buyer's preparation, right? Levels are or anything else, but you got to it'll be, it'll be slightly different. Um, What about, you know, going down the road? um, Is this with Portland pet food? Is it something that you would see in like a Walmart going down the road? Or are you staying with at this point, at least uh, more higher end stores?
0: Funny you asked, we were just having this conversation again yesterday. We seem to have it about once a month. We are sticking right now with the natural grocery stores as well as pet specialty and then our online. Um, we are focusing also a bit on export. Um, we just have shipped um, to the pet value stores. They they are a pet specialty store, but they're, we're in over 450 of them now in Canada.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And we're um, shipping to Japan. We are hopefully going to have a shipment going out for a show in Shanghai at the end of August. Here in the next few weeks, uh, so we really also see export as a huge opportunity for us. Um, you know, as we grow and scale, uh, we may be able to also bring down some of our costs for wow. our consumers. But right sure. now, because we're still fairly small operation. We are using human-grade ingredients. It is fairly expensive, so I'm not sure it's the best match for some of the larger box stores at the moment.
1: Right, right. On the export side, though, how did how did that occur? Were you approached or did you guys decide that, oh, I want to start selling in Japan or Korea?
0: I actually joined an organization here. It's one of the four regional organizations. Uh, it's called WUSADA, the Western United oh, States course. Trade yes. and Agriculture Association. Yep. And I think it's a little secret. Not that many people know about it. So it's great to talk about it today for a minute. I highly encourage yes. anyone within the food yes. industry to tap into this resource. Um, for some of the shows in the United States that we go to, we are eligible for 50% reimbursement uh, for the cost that we have with that show. Right. They also organize trade missions. There's a tremendous amount of educational experience, either through webinars or just on their website. So we have really utilized that um, connection to expand our network um, here in the States, but mainly um, internationally.
1: Yeah, and it's uh, it's great because uh, we're actually just getting ready to do with uh, one of my clients, Sunrise Fresh. We're doing the Korea show. Okay. Sent the paperwork for that and whatever because uh, they're a dried fruit company and dried fruit indexes like at 300% in Korea what it does in the US. It's like- okay, why wouldn't we sell there? It's like, you know, right? And you've got to go through the but WUSADA does, it helps out so much. And then I, I think you've gotten them or whatever, but in the last week and a half, we've probably gotten notices about a dozen, at this point, virtual, but shows or trade missions, right? Where, come, where they come here, or whatever, and visit. Uh, yeah, it's amazing. And, and it's a hidden resource. I, until I started working with Sunrise, I didn't know about WUSADA. Was like, no,
0: it is a hidden resource. And there's, there's several, um, there's four different regional networks around the, the United States. And uh, the one in the um, Midwest specializes with supporting pet food because there's a lot of pet food companies right. within right. that. So I've worked extensively with them, even though I'm a member of WUSADA. Um, been very, very helpful. And I just encourage people, though, to really research the country ahead of time yeah. as well as protect their trademarks and yes, that's any critical. patents
1: yeah, ahead yeah. of time. Yeah, i sure that's done.
0: It's for pet food, we have to go through a very rigorous um, inspection by APHIS, which is run by FDA. Yep. Um, all the whole facility is inspected, our co manufacturers inspected, and it, it's taken about 18 months for us to get onto uh, the white list for, for China. Oh, so, yeah. and that's a that's a list that just, that we're able to export to, to China.
1: And uh, and then uh, um, the, the nutritional label, you have to the sticker for the nutritional label and all of that to get yes. it. But you have to do that for Europe or Canada too, because you've got to go, you have to put the metric stuff on or French language in Canada. And, you know That's so.
0: correct. And Lusato will help with those translation costs also.
1: And it, Right. And interestingly enough, uh, for folks out there who are thinking about this and just went, what, she's sending it to Japan? Um, also Amazon has been, um, aggressively trying to get people to, if they're selling in the United States, north to to expand North America, which is Canada and Mexico, and then to UK and EU, as well as Asia. And then, uh, is it FAIR? The wholesale, yeah. there's the wholesale, right? FAIR just opened, uh, EU, UK as well. So if you're on FAIR wholesale in the U.S., um, yeah, I've had several emails about it. You should look into it because I mean it's not it's not that hard. It does take right, some effort and some investment. But again, if you are selling at that level, um, you have a lot of people who are sort of preconditioned to that already in either Asia or Europe. and uh, you know it's um, no,
0: absolutely. We're on Amazon seller, and the reason I chose that platform, you know is we can choose the pricing. Oh, it's We really just use Amazon as a platform. Yeah. Uh, we control the pricing. We send it to them uh, uh, to fulfill it. We have been talking to them about now exporting to Mexico. So um, we're just going through all that and I'll need to go through the certification, but there is a lot of opportunity um, through e-commerce, um, cross-border with China, et cetera.
1: Totally. Yeah. And you can do that. And, and again, you know, d- depending upon also pricing and stuff, which is important, but uh, a lot of um, a, a lot of people in Asia and in Europe that are buying those kind of foods pay higher prices for foods in general and and, you know, more top shelf stuff. So it doesn't come as a shock to them that, you know, this this price comes in at that as as it might in the United States. If you were somewhere and somebody said, well, you want me to pay that for a bag? Of, are you kidding? So I know. Absolutely. Great great opportunities um you know it's it's uh it, it interesting in that uh, looking um forward is is also the business so because because you have your e commerce stuff you can look at on the higher end of dog food is it much like food stuff in the fact that it's tends to to uh, position a little coastal both because you're like you're in Wegman's and you know new seasons, but what about St Louis or Kansas City or what what do you see that? We
0: have we have seen this grow faster along the two coasts. Yeah. Um, we just we're f- focusing on the Midwest now, and we'll be talking right. to some new distributors in that area. We are doing some direct ships to stores in that area. Uh, we do have customers through Fair, for example, right. also. Right. But we also just have direct ships from our own business. And so as we build that customer base, uh, we'll obviously have some more interest from from distribution too. But yes, yeah. it. It is more along the east coast and west coast
1: yeah it's it's just one of those things that tends to have an, and 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 then also i mean retail wise midwest is a little different too uh you still have a lot of independent smaller chains um that you know um are are participating there and are who have to go you have to go through a wholesaler to get to them or or ship direct one of the two yeah
0: yes, no, exactly I mean we are finding that we are going into some more farm stores um and interestingly, oh, okay. w- without um, any marketing, it's been just all grassroots, uh, we've had the opportunity to sell through Williams and Sonoma, uh, Nordstrom's, <laughs> just a, a variety of different channels, uh, hospitality included. We're in a couple different resorts. Uh, the meals are on, you know, as a room service item, they have the treats available.
1: Should have thought of that. Right, <laughs> right. Exactly. It <Yeah>, might. My... <laughs> I, I like it. That's really good. Uh, also, I was I was just when you mentioned Midwest, I was just thinking, Menards. why wouldn't you know d and b supply? I mean, of course, i'm I'm buying, you know, other pet food or you know, whatever food there. i it seems like a logical logical place to to get it. But that's funny, the hotel, yeah, room service oh, if you're hotels,
0: gonna... boutiques, uh, a yeah. lot of different wineries, breweries, cafes, yeah. et cetera, brought the products in. Um, really great for travelers. Uh, We've been in the the Tillamook Visitor Center uh, down on the Oregon oh, coast. Sure. And and that's been a great account for us.
1: I, I love it. It's a great, great ideas. Okay, folks. So think outside the box. Think outside the channel when you're, when you get ready to sell your stuff. Um, Katie, one of the things we do um, with, with our guests is we try to, uh, since our audience is made up of mainly federal entrepreneurs um, to impart we call it words to grow by, and it can be a word. It can be a phrase or a topic or something particularly that you want to share with fellow entrepreneurs based on your journey. Um, Have you got something for us?
0: Well, I always say, and this is really geared um, with the dog food, but um, for entrepreneurs, anyone that's um, buying dog food, I always say, you know, if you can't pronounce it and don't know what it is, why would you feed it to your best friend? (laughs) And you can apply that to human food or your family. And as you're developing products, um, there's a lot of trends that go on. Right. Um, but really stick to what you believe in, and um, you'll have a lot of folks that might want to sway you in a different direction. Right. But just follow your gut.
1: I mean, it's it's uh, you know I, I I think the one what what I learned when during the recession uh, Purina was a client during the 2008 recession and. We never saw numbers go down. We never reset targets because people were out of work or whatever else, but that wasn't going to affect really how they treated their pets or it just, it just didn't, didn't, didn't happen. Those guys, you know, it was like, okay, it's, yeah, we know it's tough, but, um, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna continue because it's, it's different it's pet children or however we, we view them, but yes, if you can't pronounce it, don't feed it to them doesn't sound like that. well
0: and for someone more my age i mean it's proven that having a pet extends a healthy lifestyle too and helps improve that you're out for your walks um right it's a companionship and so these furry friends deserve the best also
1: <laughs> exactly somebody to listen to you at the end of the day about all the stuff that's gone on with the co-manufacturer and everything else it certainly helps well katie hey i really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Uh, Wanted to hear the story about Petland Port Food for quite a while. And we have folks who can get more information, portlandpetfoodcompany.com. And you can find it in a whole bunch of places out there. But by all means, visit the website, see more about the the story and and what Katie's done uh, and her team. It's been great. So thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you very much for having me today.
1: Hey, and thanks to the rest of you out there for joining us in the Next Level Brands podcast, part of the Next Level Brands CPG community. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, health and wellness, or even small goods, you should be a part of the Next Level Brands community. Education, resources, workshops, founder coaching, and networking. More information is always available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's. nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast
0: with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next. With two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.